0: preaching to david bowie and his lazarus song how to lose your religion and some other nonsense name that church body stay tuned it's table talk radio a radio show that confesses christ
1: without confusing
2: the law and the gospel a radio show that takes scripture seriously without taking ourselves so seriously you're listening to table talk radio you know? But if the bus boy at that restaurant and you're there simply to clear tables and you notice that there's people that aren't coming in, it's not your job to start changing aspects of the restaurant because it's not your restaurant. So the question is, is whose church is it? I mean, if it's, right. if it's our church, then we better get busy and start doing all these things because it's up to us to, quote, grow the church. But if it's the Lord's church, he's the one who gets to call the shots. Did you hear what it
0: says? The church is not a monster with two heads. There's only one head, Jesus and Peter.
2: (laughs) Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. I can count. (laughs) Jesus, one. (laughs) Peter, two. Because not every day can be a Monday, this is Table Talk Radio. Would it be nice? You know, my day is going a little bit too well. I'm going to listen to some Table Talk Radio to bring it down. That's that's the service we provide. Yeah. A
0: little that's bit good. More. We're dragging people. We are the the millstone
2: around your neck. <laughs> Table Talk Radio. That's right. Well, that's uh, solid lineup for today's edition of Table Talk Radio. I think
0: it looks like it's all the stuff we didn't get to last time. That's always nice to hear, isn't it? Yeah, because we because spent... last time we recorded, we had that Mysticism 101 class that we went through. What an absolute disaster that was. I'm glad that's over. We had a bunch of stuff we wanted to get to, and we didn't because we were stuck in the, in the talk about Millstone, about the depressing nonsense. So we got all, all the leftovers today. Don't worry. Sometimes leftovers are, are even better than the main course.
2: <laughs> we'll see about that's that. At least what my mom would tell me. <laughs> all right. Well, let's start off with some buzzwords. What's your buzzword today, Pastor Wolf Miller? My buzzword
0: for you is synod. Synod. Synod means the way together. It's an old Greek word. Syn means together. Hodos means to walk or to go. It means road basically. So we say synod It means walking together. Now the reason why this is important is because I was at a wedding this last week, and um, I was talking about the Missouri synod, and the person we heard, and we were and the person said, "Oh, you you guys are going into extra sessions now to work on the budget." And, <laughs> like, what? and we're like, "What?" And we were talking to each other, and neither one of us understood what the other person was talking about until I realized that she thought I was saying Missouri Senate. Aren't you in the House of Representatives there in Missouri? Yeah. Yeah, so the state of Missouri apparently is having this budget crisis, and the Missouri Senate was going into extra sessions to do all this sort of stuff, and she was – And 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 we and then when when she found out you were one of those conversations (laughs) where where everyone was like half the people knew what I was saying half the people knew what she was saying and they were looking at us both like what the heck are you guys
2: it was great until we figured it
0: out and I said oh
2: you're thinking Missouri Synod we're talking about the Missouri Synod yeah so um, Mm -hmm. she thought very highly of you until she found out you were a pastor in the Missouri Synod. And then yeah, all of a sudden, yeah. her view of you was just like down in the dumps. Like, oh, I thought I, thought I was talking was, to a senator. Oh. It's a wedding. It was a great wedding with two lawyers getting married, so everyone else was lawyers in there.
0: And <laughs> you know how hard it is. Because I have a standing policy, no jokes, on purpose in the sermon. And uh, uh, it, my favorite joke has to do with two lawyers, and it, but I still didn't tell it.
2: Is that to say but all, of, all of your jokes in the pulpit are accidental? Yes, that's right. It's true.
0: I mean, sometimes, you, like this Sunday, apparently Pastor Flamy I said something on this Sunday sermon, and Pastor Flamey said, you should have looked at me because I was giving you the scowl. You should
2: not have said that.
0: It's because I was talking about how leprosy dulls the senses so you can't feel if you're injured. You could cut your finger off, and if you had leprosy in the hand, you wouldn't know you cut your finger off, which was part of the written sermon. And then the part which was not written down was, When I said, "That's why you never let someone with leprosy in their hand prepare the salad," (laughs) (laughs) which was bad, I said that in the sermon. Can you believe it, Pastor Flammy? Chastised me. Here you are standing before the high holy altar of God, talking about someone cutting off their finger in a salad.
2: So so now now I want to hear the lawyer joke that did not make it to the wedding sermon. Okay, okay, it's this. What did one lawyer say to the other lawyer?
0: Nothing. He just waved. That's You are not guess a punchline that's better than the actual punchline, but that's wrong. The answer is this. What did one lawyer say to the
2: other lawyer? We are both lawyers. That's not funny. All right. For new jokes, please submit them to PRBW at tabletalkradio.org. PRBW, we need some help. I mean, the the only thing worse than the bumper music on this show is the jokes. That's what That joke falls, by the way, into the category of the anti-joke. <laughs> the joke that that's funny
0: because it's not funny. Which is a whole thing, by the way. All right. I don't know if you know that. It's advanced it's advanced humor from the School of Hilarity. Yeah, that's in the
2: advanced courses. The the yep, right. advanced placement. The, the, AP the jokes classes.
0: that are funny because
2: they're not funny. Yep. That's All right. my takes a deft touch, you know. My somewhat Your theological buzzword, buzzword for you is humanism which is a philosophical system of thought that focuses on human value, thoughts, and actions, that humans are considered basically good and rational creatures who can improve themselves and others through natural human abilities of reason and action. Uh, Secular humanism is a late development, emphasizing objectivity, human reason, and human standards that govern art, economics, ethics, and belief. Uh, Got it. Definition here also says that no deity is acknowledged in this in this uh, philosophy. Okay, that's humanism. Got it. All right, now let's it. let's humanism. go to our uh, first game. Preaching to Hollywood. This is submitted. Do you have an email there you want to read? Uh, sure. Let me pull it up here. Um,
0: I suppose it's a little late to preach to him. I suppose, but I would recommend the song "Lazarus" by David Bowie for preaching to Hollywood. That's from Mark. Alright. No indication where Mark is from, probably New Zealand. I would guess so. Yeah. It's always the best guess. Lazarus by David Bowie, I hear it play. I better
2: look up the lyrics. Someone could have edited out the intro. Yeah,
0: well, it's probably the best part of the song.
1: Look up here, I'm in heaven I've got scars that can't be seen I've got drama that can't be stolen
0: Stop it there. We might have a bleep a word here coming up. <laughs> By the time I got to do nork. I was living like a king. There I used up all my money. I was looking for your beep. This way or no way, you know I'll be free, just like that bluebird. Now, ain't that just like me? Oh, I'll be free, just like that bluebird. Oh, I'll be free.
2: Ain't that just like me? Well, okay. Interesting. Well, what what you, what's on? your first take on this song? Well, I don't know. I was thinking
0: Lazarus had something to do with the biblical character of Lazarus. I don't. I. Uh, I think that's a possibility still, because. But I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure.
2: I mean, look up here. I'm in heaven. Um, that makes you think of the rich man and Lazarus. Is that what you well, think? Either, Is that, so, that Lazarus. Yeah, yeah, the rich man and Lazarus. That would be the one. So remember, we have two Lazaruses who died
0: in the scripture. Some people say they're the same, but we have uh, uh, Lazarus who Jesus raises from the dead. That becomes the precipitating incident of the passion. And then Lazarus and the rich man, the parable or account that Jesus gives us of the two men who who died... um, so yeah, Lazarus and the Rich Man is one I was thinking of. This is a picture of I'm up in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. Look up here, man. I'm in heaven.
2: So right oh, sorry, there, I'm in danger. That look, that looks okay. But then it says, yeah. Then it goes, look up here, man. I'm in danger. Then you're going, wait a minute. This doesn't sound like it's fitting anymore.
0: Uh, yeah, I've got nothing left to lose. I'm so high it makes my brain whirl. Dropped my cell phone down below. Ain't that just like me? By the time I got to New York, I was living like a king. I don't. I can't sort out what the heck's going on in this song.
2: I hate it when you drop your cell phone from heaven. I mean, no cell phone will survive that fall.
1: Uh,
2: that's right. I wonder if our friend the lyric doctor.
0: I don't know. You got an idea on this one? Mm.
2: Having a tough time. You're going to look it up, see if he's see if our uh, if our expert guest has uh, yes worked on this one. Okay.
0: Yeah, I doubt it though. I mean, it's a little bit old.
2: All right. Well, we're going to be coming up on a break, so you can... Uh, you oh, can... yeah, good. We'll do a little back research. <laughs> oh, good. A break. <laughs> Love the breaks on Table Talk Radio. Saved right. by the bell. <laughs> During this break, you can send us an email by sending us an email at questions at tabletalkradio.org. If you send a email to answers at Table Talk Radio, it will be returned undeliverable. So questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can also give us a call 1 800 385 SOLA. If you call 1 800 385 WORKS, then it will not go through. 1 800 385 SOLA. And we'll be right back for more Table Talk Radio. Oh, so much for the jokes I the Are you sure? What did
0: one bump music song say to the other bump?
1: Not really one of the best decisions you've made today. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. The daily Bible meditation blog is at rightlydividedbible.wordpress.com
0: where three chapters of the Bible are considered each day. Check it out.
2: You are listening to Table Talk Radio. We are playing Preaching to Hollywood kind of Pastor Yeah. yeah. I think I got something on this. Oh, oh, I do. Okay. Uh It's so I
0: I'm just poking around here on the song meetings where everyone just guesses. What's interesting is this song apparently was released in the final album of David Bowie right before he died. And everyone said, "Whoa, wait a minute." Uh it's kind of predictive look up here i'm in heaven uh and they're suggesting that the lazarus here is the lazarus of bethany that that was raised by jesus um and that this is a that the idea here is that the man lives on in his own art that was the suggestion that i read here that i'm most inclined to think was probably happening see so i'm up here in heaven uh but uh, look, I'm in danger. I've got nothing to lose. I'm so high it makes my brain whirl. Uh, drop my cell phone down below. Ain't that just like me? In other words, um, I'm I'm in heaven now, but all my stuff is now left on earth for everyone to, you know, look at and gossip over and all this sort of nonsense. See? Mm. So I continue to live on both in my art and then in, in my reputation, which... um. It causes all sorts of trouble after death, which I guess might have happened with David Bowie. I wasn't really paying attention, but who knows.
2: Huh. So uh, that, uh, hmm. this is su- similar to the uh, thing you hear a lot at, like, uh, funerals. Or no, 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 at celebrations of life where a person will say, you know, we'll never forget this person. If we never forget them then they continue to live on. Have you ever heard something like that? Yep. And that's uh, right. They live I- on in the legacy. Right. Right, right. Yeah, so so the idea is is that the way that we keep this person alive is in our in our memories and our in our thoughts and the worst thing you could do then is to, you know, go back to the uh routine of life and get consumed by the happenings of what's going on around you and then forget all about this person that you've you've lost. And um, mm-hmm. I'm certainly not advocating that we move on and forget our loved ones <laughs> that die. However, I am suggesting that has been offered as a substitute <laughs> for the true uh, peace that we have, the true promise that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, Christ has been raised from the dead, and then uh, Romans 6 tells us, and if we have been um uh, baptized into his death and we have been also baptized into his resurrection and this is a wonderful passage that we uh, read at the funeral services to remind us that uh, our resurrection is uh, is upcoming <laughs> uh, that that we we too our bodies will rise from the dead and this is the great christian comfort that that dead, death is not final um there is a resurrection into which uh we will live for uh for all eternity, uh, and that's a promise in christ um and that's mm-hmm. way more comforting than uh the uh you know so and so's up in heaven playing golf, and it's way more comforting than let's keep people alive uh in our memories mm-hmm mm hmm that's my preaching to hollywood it,
0: i i think i mean I think that's right so to get after this myth that you know, we live on in, in our work. We live on in our, in our art. We live on in our family. We live on in our children. No, the Christian speaks, uh, differently. We live on in our bodies (laughs) (laughs) when we're raised from the dead. Right. So I, maybe this thing, we're looking at this and we're like, what the heck? There's no resurrection here. And maybe, but maybe that's a point is that of course that you this is this is how the secular world would confess Lazarus there's no resurrection i don't know how you get to heaven either by the way in this song um uh, just uh, the assumption that all dogs go to heaven kind of thing you know everyone ends up in heaven that's just the way it is which is dangerous we we you know what one of the things that the lord has protected us from is the real sense that heaven is right because our own the depth of our own sin is hidden from us but it This is a true thing that we have to confess that the depth of our sin, um, is so profound that we do
2: truly deserve hell.
0: Yeah. Nothing less than that.
2: We're going through the gospel of Matthew in my Sunday morning Bible class. And we are uh, hitting all of the, the parables of the, the wheat and the terrors. And then the, uh, the fish are caught in the net and there's the division of the good, the righteous fish and the wicked fish. And, um, in, in both of those instances, and this is, I think, the third time it mentions it in Matthew, uh, that they'll be put out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, into this furnace or this this lake of fire, it's, it's sometimes called. And it's the, the reminder that even Jesus uh, taught us about the reality of hell. And not only is this an unpopular teaching in the secular world, but it's also becoming an unpopular teaching amongst Christians, <laughs> that Christians... A retreat on the doctrine of hell because they can't fathom a God that would be so mean. And so, see what we're doing here. Instead of uh, getting our view of God from the scriptures and say, "Okay, whatever the scriptures say, that's my view of God," we go the other way and say, "What, what should my, the the perfect God look like?" The perfect God, in my view, would look like a God who's so loving, would never send anyone to hell. And now we go to the scriptures to try and impose that on what the text says. I mean, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- it, th- this is something that we have to we have to have in mind because if if there is no hell, from what has Christ saved you from? In other words, why did Jesus go to the cross if he was just trying to give you a more of a of a Uh, suburbia lifestyle in heaven why did he have to die on the cross for you but the fact of the matter is that jesus on the cross suffers hell in your place that the wrath of god for your sin is poured out upon him instead of you so rather than trying to invent a god who just doesn't care about sin look to the true god who cares so much about sin and your sin that he wants to redeem you from it by sending his son to death that's right that's right. So that the, the you have
0: love and wrath both burning. But you see, if you don't have, I mean, you just flatten everything out. You have no holiness, no wrath, no love, no death on the cross, no redemption, no nothing. Just the nice guy God, and that's how everyone wants it, you know. But the, uh, the
2: scriptures uh, paint a very different picture. I understand we have a little bit of Ten Commandments in the news to play. Oh yeah, okay, you want to do move on from this here? Let's see
0: here. Archive this guy and go to the Oh. This is really interesting. This is an article called Losing My Religion. Uh What I Law Lo- What I Lost and Gained When I Gave Up On God. It's kind of a long article, but I'll read a few paragraphs and then you can tell me. We're gonna play Ten you say Ten Commandments in the news, that's what the thing is here? Yes. Okay. Uh Religion is on a steady decline in Britain. For a country that was once ruled by Protestantism, only 30% of Britons say they have faith. 30% have faith. Back in December, Refinery29 talked to six women of faith in Britain about how they prayed and how religion figured into their lives. But what happens if you lose your religion? Below, we hear from a 27-year-old woman who was raised a devout evangelical Christian but lost faith in Jesus during her late teens. So here's the story of it. Losing God was like losing my father, my hope, and my purpose, I grew up surrounded by religion. It's part of every single childhood memory I have. I remembered my earliest religious experience. I was praying at summer camp, and I used to go on with my uh, that I used to go on with my family every year. It was a highlight of the year, a massive social event. a youth leader had. Uh, one hand on my shoulder, and as I prayed, I felt another hand over on my other shoulder. I opened my eyes, and all I saw was my youth leader's hand. I asked them if, at any point they put a second hand on me, and they said no.
2: That was the first time I thought I'd physically felt God. Hmm. Okay, let's stop there. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so she has this almost despair that she would she would like to believe in God, but has come to a realization that she can't possibly believe in God. And I, I think a lot of times what we want to look at is what was the person's foundation when they did believe in God. And um, it sounds like the foundation that she's setting up for herself, for her belief in God, is this uh, the sense of feeling the touch of God. Now, if that's going to be our foundation, we've talked about many times on this show, particularly reference last week's show, <laughs> number 413, in which we talk about um, you know, looking for God in the... The unmediated sense, so that that God is directly uh, coming to us, touching us, uh, we're sensing him, this kind of thing, rather than to see what God promises to us in the Holy Scriptures to say that he comes to us in certain means. Uh, so like the word of God or the sacraments, uh, these are ways that God has promised himself uh, to us. So a, lot, a, lot, a large part of this is going to be how, where do you find the certainty that God exists in the first place? And if it's by touching my shoulder, I wouldn't be surprised that a person who rests their understanding of the existence of God on that would be a theist too terribly long. Hmm, That's right. That's right. Uh,
0: this is. It's going to get worse. You want some more here? We have about 30 seconds. You want to read a little bit? Yeah, sure. My mom used to pray in tongues over me when I went to bed, a spiritual language the disciples used to pray. At church, people would fall over, screaming, howling in pain, laughing hysterically when the pastor would invite the Holy Spirit to come. It was normally during a regular Sunday service at our church in West London to see people crying and shaking. At bigger spiritual events, you'd have roomfuls of thousands of people doing it. They say spiritual outpouring comes and ebbs and flows, so sometimes the reaction is stronger or a certain passion would cause a greater outpouring. From a very young age, you're living in a world that feels like fantasy, where adults talk about exercising people who have demons, being healed, finding gold dust on their hands. I had youth leaders as a child that would tell me how they'd prayed for... Uh, For other 10-year-old girls who were possessed and you're told
2: that if you're bad, you'd be subject to the same. And I believed all of it. Wow. All right. We're going to take a break. Definitely want to say a word or two about that on the other side of the break. Also coming up in this edition of Table Talk Radio is Name That Church Body. Pastor Wolfmiller is itching to read this one because he's very Uh, uh, excited about it. (laughs) You're listening to Table Talk Radio. and We'll be right back.
1: Table Talk Radio. We love our on-demand listener. We're going to Germany in September.
0: Send me an email if you want more information. bwolfmutter at gmail.com.
2: Still stuck with us? This is Table Talk Radio. We are doing a little. How much longer? <laughs> About twenty-four minutes or so. He can hang in there that oh. long, can't you? How did, I thought we we're huh. okay?
0: We're in segment Let's three speak now. It's up here a little bit. Aren't we? Didn't we figure that out? We can talk faster and then rec- and then slow down the recording. Yes, that, that so work?
2: far has been a smashing success. Okay. Good. <laughs> Record a one-hour radio show in twenty minutes or less. Yeah, that's what I like. Well, we're listening to, playing a little Tink Mamps in the News, listening to an article uh what someone kind of journaling their. Losing my religion. To unbelief. And yep. uh, so far, she's talked about uh, that she had, at one time in her, as a child, felt the touch of God on her shoulder, and then talked yep. about the speaking in tongues that she uh, knew growing up. And, um, you know, this is another thing, too. I mentioned this is going to be kind of redundant, but one of the things that we talked about in the first thing about certainty is where where do i know god is speaking and we always understand that god is speaking you know through his word and in those places that he has promised by his word to to be to, to be speaking so she mm-hmm. references the 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 speaking in tongues to be a language spoken by the apostles And if we take a closer look at that in Acts chapter 2, what the apostles were doing were speaking uh, so that people in their native languages could hear them in their respective languages, that is, the language that they knew from their native land, Um, not some kind of of out-of-this-world heavenly language that is unknown to anyone. So uh, that would maybe beg the question, is that something that was unique to the apostles at the uh, genesis of the uh, Christian Church, or is this something that is continuing, t- continuing today? Um, it's just it's just so interesting that the form that people say that it continues today is a completely different form and manner than what was given to the apostles. But that aside, yeah. well, oftentimes yep, yep. Uh, I'm just kind of going on here. I'm gonna go on a tirade. You just stop me. No, whenever. that's okay. It's good. Um, that, that 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 aside, that uh, if if we look to the scriptures, where is God speaking to me? Well, He has spoken to me about forgiveness in baptism, that uh, baptism now saves you. Uh, Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2 says. Uh, And also in the Lord's Supper, that uh, in the Lord's Supper, um, that he says, this is my body, this is my blood given for you for the forgiveness of sin. So these are the things that God is wanting to talk to you about. You're standing before him in light of your sin, and he would say, hey, you're forgiven. And he tells us that in his word, in baptism and in the Holy Supper. So if I then don't have those um foundations in my theological system, I will inevitably replace them with something else. Be it emotion, be it the touch of God, be it speaking in tongues. Uh, people are always looking for certainty and where God gives certainty in his word and that's not um that's not held then you replace it with something. I think that's what really was going on here. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, gold dust on the
0: hand, falling down, cry, barking like dogs, all this kind of charismatic nonsense is a form of unbelief. I mean, if you're going from that to unbelief, you're not actually traveling that far. <laughs> because, you, I mean, it's like not believing in the God that's not there to, I mean, believing in the God that's not there to not believing in the God that's not there. I mean, what is the difference? Mm. Um, the point is that, uh, the God is not there, but you're, but you're right. You're pointing to all this nonsense, um, to shape someone's spiritual Now there's a grain of truth in there. So, I mean, there was talk about spiritual warfare and all this sort of stuff. Now, some of that is true, although it gets wonky. I mean, this spiritual warfare stuff gets really weird in the charismatic church and the incubi and succubi and all this sort of crazy stuff. Uh, and it gets very, um, It's very sexual. Which is what? What's going to happen in this uh, article? Are you ready? Yeah. Um, It says, uh, uh, "Till age fourteen, I prayed constantly in evangelical Protestantism. It's emphasized that you should have a personal relationship with Jesus, which we're against, by the way. Right? Remember Mm -hmm. that? You should pray in the same way you text your boyfriend or girlfriend or your mom. Do you hear that? Mm. I mean, she's just saying it was. I was taught that I should pray like I'm texting my my mom or my girlfriend or." Only Jesus is more important, so you speak to him all the time. As a child, that's pretty simple to take in. If you're told someone is just as important as everyone else, you accept it. It's like an imaginary friend everyone around you is endorsing. God's always there for you, but the downside is he's there all the time, even when you do something wrong. Now listen to what happens next. The church I went to had a lot of confusing messages about sexuality. Because they were a progressive church, they were loath to give specific rules, so they just put a positive emphasis on how important it was for women to be virgins for their husband. Boys never seemed to to be held to the same standard. When it came to homosexuality in my church, you were allowed to be gay but not to practice it. They'd say, don't hate the sinner, hate the sin, which now obviously reminds me of, don't hate the player, hate the game. (laughs) Because my church never said, don't do this or don't do that, at age 15, I started drinking a bit, and I felt fine because that wasn't strictly prohibited as anti-Christian, nor was flirting with boys. There were a lot more girls at my church than at the Christ- and at the Christian camps than boys, and so the boys at church would treat you like garbage because they had way more options. Boys outside the church showed me a lot more attention, so I started hanging out with them instead. You see how this is going. I still felt very religious about this time, but sexuality became a way to test the boundaries and that evolved into into sixth form i don't know what that means i guess that's oh i bet sixth form is some british way of talking about school that evolved into sixth form when i started hanging out with naughtier
2: friends can i back you up Still, a little bit, when I got real my, quick yeah what sure. do you, what do you th- what do you make of this line that says um uh because they were a progressive church they were loath to give specific rules so so that uh on the on the progressive end of things it's yeah, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna lay down a black and white. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's
0: right. It's weird because most of the time these wacky charismatics are pretty fundamentalist when it comes to, you know, ethics. But apparently this church was not. It's kind of a weird church.
2: Hmm. hmm.
0: Okay. Hmm. And notice this too. So there's a bunch more girls than boys at church. So the boys were disrespectful to the girls. So she had better success at getting attention from the boys outside of the church. Then, she, so she goes hanging around with them. Her friends get naughtier, her word. And then this, still when I got my first non-Christian boyfriend, I told him from the start, I'm not going to have sex with you because I believe in no sex before marriage. And I'm not saying that to you in a you-can-persuade-me-in-three-months-time kind of way. It's really not going to happen. And he was fine with it. I think because he secretly actually hadn't had se- sex himself, so so she's hanging. She's got a non-Christian boyfriend. She still has some sort of six commandment ethic working in the background, but it's on a slippery slope. Hmm. And it says that I was slipping with drugs and alcohol. I was also making friends with a lot of gay people, and I struggled to see how their lives could be sinful. You see that? Mm-hmm. So do you see? You see that all these things, remember, there's four things that affect the conscience. And they are, the first is the law, both man's law and God's law. And the second thing is our peers, both the general uh, people, I suppose, our peers, our close friends, and our culture. And those are shaping our conscience about what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what's uh, evil and, and good, um, and so forth, and you see all of these things shifting, and now it's affecting your conscience. And especially drugs and alcohol are going to be shaping the conscience as well. This mm-hmm. is like an, an odyssey. It's like if the devil could script a house to cause someone to lose their faith, this is just this is just like the basic script. Mm-hmm. Uh, it continues. When I told my mom I had a non-Christian boyfriend, she was devastated. I remember it clearly. I was sitting in the bath, and I told her, that he asked me out, and she said, "I hope you didn't say yes." When I told her I did, she walked out of the bathroom and didn't say a word to me for three months. Hmm. Whoa. There was no confrontation, nothing up till then. She was my best friend, but that was the moment I started feeling the disappointment of my parents, and I realized that the love I received from them felt very conditional.
2: Hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, um, you know, another another aspect of this whole story. Uh you know it's kind of ironic because she she talks about being in a progressive church so they didn't really set the rules no black and whites this kind of a thing but they still had laws right you know so you know don't have sex before marriage you know these are the kind of things you know if you're if you're gay then you shouldn't practice it you know they still had laws they just didn't have as clearly defined laws as the mm-hmm. i guess conservative church or something like this but one thing that we should learn from all of this is that the law doesn't keep us in the faith <laughs> I mean uh, yep. that we by nature are law breakers and this is what she's starting to realize that I have all of these laws that I have been told to uh, that I should be keeping and so far in all of this we haven't heard anything of uh forgiveness for our failures now I'm not here saying <laughs> don't don't misunderstand me dear listener that uh that something like the sixth commandment isn't something that we ought to be teaching because it's just law uh, certainly, the sixth commandment is something that we ought to be teaching. But what we ought to be teaching, in addition to um, that, you should uh, th- that young people should preserve themselves sexually for for marriage, is also the teaching that um, in our failures we have a God who forgives us. Um, so so that when uh, it that when before you get to the point where I, I'm I'm sliding down this slippery slope, I've already understood in. The 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 failures of my lustful thoughts. I know I have God that forgives me. So 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 if if it's just if it's just law, if all I'm getting is law and no gospel, no forgiveness of sins, then it's no wonder that I would find myself estranged from this God because it's just a a rule maker. Yep. That's all right. it. This, this is
0: amazing though. To, I mean, to get at the the connection between intimacy and the law and the conscience you're you're right it's all law and that's going to lead to a broken conscience but there's it's
2: going to get even more here in the next paragraph so okay well we'll be right back for a little bit more of this after this
1: table talk radio where the voice crying in the wilderness is the listener
0: I save all the good stuff for grappling with the text, a little video Bible study that you could find at WorldViewEverlasting.com.
2: Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. We're talking about an article entitled Losing... My Religion, this is a story of a, uh, who is this? Lady. An anonymous, oh, it's anonymous. Anonymous writer talking about her uh, tro- her road to unbelief. And uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, how she w- was told, you know, you shouldn't have sex before marriage. And then she gets her first non-Christian uh, boyfriend, and then the slippery slope begins. I want to clarify something I said before the break. I just wanted to, um, you know, I didn't want to give the impression as if I was saying that because we have law and gospel, now um, uh, she can just indulge in all of the things that that, uh, she knows is wrong, but it's okay because we have forgiveness. What I was trying to say is that I think if you have a steady diet of law only— and then also uh, someone else who has a steady diet of law and gospel the the person who has a diet of law only is bound to 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 slide down that slippery slope um because well i know that i'm i'm not perfect in all these things that i'm doing and all i know is the law that's all i hear from the pulpit so uh i'm because i'm a sinner i'm going to not only break the maybe the smaller laws if we can if we can say it that way uh it'll then progress into the the bigger laws so to speak um uh, but what I was trying to say is that when we have a a regular diet of getting law and gospel when i find myself breaking the smaller laws that is to say um uh you know like i'm maybe uh, lusting before marriage which which god himself jesus would tell us that uh, that itself is a breaking of the sixth commandment and i and i know then uh What is the result of that breaking of the law? It it is deserving of God's wrath, and I hear of the forgiveness that I have in him. That steady diet of law and gospel uh, helps me from actually going so far to now be um, disregarding the law altogether. Am I making any sense? yeah you're making a lot of sense I mean so this confusion we see this i mean
0: we as we read through the story, we can see the confusion of law and gospel, and we see where it goes now, the other thing to say though is even if you get law and gospel exactly right, i mean even in congregations that are orthodox, this happens i mean people fall away from the faith it's really sad to see and and one of the ways that the devil attacks our faith is through sexual sin i mean he the devil just tempts us and and uh All people have this weak. In fact, so Luther divides it into three categories: the youth have especially the sins of the flesh; the older people have especially the sins of the world; and the Christians have especially the sins of, of the heart, the the spirit, sins of despair of God's grace and mercy. And so, especially when we hear stories about young people losing their faith, they when it it has to do with friends, with sexuality. Uh, with drugs and this sort of thing, and things of this world, kind of the riches get in the way, or troubles of this life, or all this sort of stuff. And Christians, the devil is attacking our, our our trust in the gospel. So it's not to say that you know orthodoxy ensures that people don't lose the the leave the church, but when we see this confusion of law and gospel, you can just see it coming because her 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 Christian identity is bound up to her virginity. Which is not. I mean, our Christian identity should be bound up to our to our baptism, to to the gospel, to the forgiveness of sins, and let let our chastity, and compassion, and generosity, and truthfulness let all of these things be the fruit of our Christian identity, but not in the identity itself. So when we when our Christian identity is that we are law keepers. You are bound for, you are doomed for failure. Right. And he, and here she's going to say it. So, so she's not, She this is her at college. She says, I didn't go to church. I was drinking, doing drugs. I was beginning to lose my belief in God by, quote, thinking more independently. Hmm. I was making friends with a lot of gay people, and I couldn't see how their lives are sinful. Still, I carried my religion through my virginity. Sex was the last thing that sealed my faith. But then the, mm. she continues, not long into university, I got a new boyfriend. One time we were making out, we just kept going. I could have stopped it. There was plenty of time to change my mind. I didn't even went out to get condoms just before. And while, while he was gone, I Googled, what if you're a Christian and you lose your virginity? And the answer said, you're very likely to lose your faith. And I thought, well, that's fine because I won't lose my faith. But in hindsight, I 100% was losing my faith. She continues after I first had sex, I was forced to confront my feelings about my religion. I didn't go to church, I didn't believe in God, and now I wasn't a virgin. so what was I? I'd black out for a day, lock myself in a room, and cry. I felt lost when you have a faith, it forms your entire worldview, especially when it's not chosen by you but chosen for you. But suddenly, aged twenty, I had reenvisioned society, myself, morality. Granted, it wasn't one moment that yanked me out of the faith. It was an attrition over the course of six or seven years. But it was still like the Matrix—the idea that everything you've ever believed in is wrong. It makes you feel like you've been mad for years. Hmm. It also makes you question the sanity of everyone you've held close to
2: you. Hmm. Yeah. You so, so, so that. Go ahead. Go. Go ahead. No, no, you got it. Well, I just say just what what you said before. So, what the what the devil loves to do. Is to take your sins and rub them in your face. That's the devil's <laughs> uh, uh, main goal. He what he what he really would like you to do is to remain in the darkness um, of the of the truth that Christ has died for all of your sins, and um, because if you know that, then then his work is useless. If if all of your sins have been died for, what what does he have to rub in your face? He has nothing to rub in your face. Um, but what 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 uh, we can see was going on in this case is that she was putting all the the uh, the eggs in the basket of of her virginity, so that uh, her virginity was on par was equal to having the faith or being a Christian, and then when she lost that the she couldn't claim her virginity anymore then now it was well then you're not really a christian so the devil was just putting full force every single sin she's ever committed right upon her and what she was blind to or deaf to was the truth that christ had died for all those sins right that's right i mean did
0: you hear any mention of jesus in in her description of her faith, mm, no, uh, I mean it wasn't a faith at all. Really, I mean there was things that she believed, but they were mostly. Um, it was an ethic. I mean, mm-hmm. she didn't lose her religion; she lost her ethic. Um, I, she never had a religion. It seems like she never had something that was that she believed in. It was, you know, I.
2: Uh, that's really sad. Right. Well, and again, not not to beat a dead horse, but. Uh, I mean, going back to what religion looked like for her was um, feeling the touch of God and speaking in tongues. And this this was doing nothing for her to know about w- what God does with our sins. Um, if If all I know of church is to have this experience of God and all I know of church is to... Uh, Say that I have the ability to speak in tongues or maybe the ability to interpret tongues or something like this. That's all church is. That's uh, That's not training me whatsoever to know how to deal with the times that I'm going to fail in my life, the times I'm not going to keep God's law. I mean, it's not an if, you know, if you break God's law, if you fail. It's when you will Mm -hmm. fail in God's commands. And so if if church has Mm -hmm. nothing to offer me for that, then it's no wonder. Then I'll see the church as completely irrelevant, (laughs) if you will, um, when I find myself burdened with sin. Right. That's it. Okay. That's exactly it. Well, we have just about two minutes to do a little name that church body. I heard you have a pretty good church body (laughs) here today. All right, here it is. This is an email. I found it here from Adam.
0: It says says, uh, greetings, my secretly dear mediocrats. I'd mostly like to hear, Pastor Wolf, me read any paragraph paragraph of this. Have fun if you can, Adam, which links to the About page on the Department of Convolution. You ready for this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Our global infrastructure. Individuals' neuro- neurology security depends on our convolution sigils and SEALs being in the perfect location at the perfect time with the perfect qualities to protect our neurological structures. Our members operate in every time zone and in every climate. More than 144,000 members are astrically, terrestrially, and at etherically. The Department of Convolution manages our inventory of sigils and SEALs to keep the material and immaterial communities free of psychic entrenchment. Mm. The department's physical plant is unrivaled, consisting of more than several hundred thousand individual buildings and structures located at more than 77,000 different locations. When all sites are added together, the Department of Convolution utilizes over 3 million acres of land. Okay, I'm a little... The Department of Convolution <laughs> mission is accomplished by seeking out our tongues purest and brightest...
2: Could you clarify the the second paragraph that you read there? No. (laughs) (laughs) The chief
0: emancipator, our chief emancipator is the universal elect Altar. Along with the secrecy of the Department of Convolution and Neuro-Linguistic Purification Council, the universal elect Altar influences the purification needs of the tongue and then takes courses of action to ensure (laughs) that they are met. The Universal Elect Altar in the summational role as Magnus elect of the cosmic tongues is the senior neurolinguistic authority in the process and as such is ultimately responsible for the protection of the neurolinguistic you know, rhymosomes. Listening to this is just
2: like listening to Table beans. Talk Radio. Anyway. That's it. Thanks I, for I listening I think I'm just gonna take I'm gonna take this and use it as our church's bylaws. It's just
1: perfect. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of Table Talk Radio. Table Talk Radio is not for everyone. Please no consult your pastor before listening show. to Table Talk Radio. Well, Side effects may the include nausea, vomiting, headache, heartburn, earache, hallucinations, aversion to eating sandwiches, psychotic imagery, coordinates psychosis, hallucinations, lung cancer, operations. brain tumors, sleep pain, insomnia, internal, internal, internal combustion, a sudden craving to smell your backseat, claustrophobia, uncontrollable urge to fight the capitalists on Twitter, and falling off your treadmill. More information: visit TableTalkRadio.org. This
0: is the back page of Godestinst.